Turning your Bibles to John chapter 15, the 15th chapter of John. We're continuing our journey through John's gospel, declaring who Jesus is every week, declaring different aspects of his unsearchable riches. John 15, verse 17, Jesus said, These things I command you, that you love one another. The context of John chapter 15, he's preparing them for his crucifixion. He declared them to be the branches through which he being the vine, fruit would come. He taught them that they were his friends, not just his servants, but they are his friends. How many glad to be a friend of God? We're his friends and not just his servants. As his servants, we willingly serve him, but as his friends, he gives us inside information. At the conclusion of those encouraging words, he begins to give some words that aren't real encouraging. Verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. He had told them to love one another as I have loved you. He had said earlier in his ministry that the law and the prophets, the Old Testament as it were, hangs on two commands, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. John wrote later on in another one of his books in the Bible, that if we don't love our neighbor, we can't love God because our neighbor, our brother, is created in the image of God. So the two commands are connected to each other. And so here Christ underlines that fact and actually raises the level of that second command of loving our neighbor, saying, love one another as I have loved you. Some people's cop out for not loving their neighbors. Well, I don't love myself. If I can work on loving myself enough, then I'll love my neighbor. And you can try to fix yourself, care for yourself, and be obsessed with yourself And no joy is going to come until you experience the joy of being the instrument of God in helping somebody else. Tell you what, that's fulfillment. You actually experience His pleasure, being the channel for His love, letting it find its destination through you. So here he emphasizes that again. I command you. Can we say command? I command you that you love one another. The word he used there for love is the highest form of love. In the Greek language are several words that are often defined as love. In English, we just love everything. We love our wife. We love our husband. We love ice cream. We love our children. We love our dog. We just have one word. But in the Greek language, there's different levels of love. There's eros or erotic love. That's the kind of love you hear about on the radio. A lot of songs are all about that lower level of love. They're just begging for somebody to give them some sugar. That's not true love, sister. So watch out for those boys that say, I love you. Watch out. There's phileo love, which is brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's a great goal for a city to be. It's a great name for a city. A great name for a church to be called Philadelphia Church. But the highest form of love is agape love, which means sacrificial, unconditional, undying love. Sacrificial, unconditional, undying love. This is the love that God is. He is agape, and he commands us through his Son to love one another with agape love. This isn't just brother to brother and sister to sister. This is husband to wife and wife to husband. We are called to love one another with sacrificial, unconditional, undying love. Can I get an amen? So based on that, that we are his friends, And we are called to be friends that love one another with undying love. He then delivers some true things that are not good news. If the world hates you, 
you know that it hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world loves its own, but not with agape love. The word for love that he used there is word phileo, it's brotherly love. The world takes care of its own, but not necessarily with sacrificial, unconditional, undying love. There's people getting divorced all the time. Well, we just don't love each other anymore. The command isn't love one another until you don't feel like it. Love is not a feeling. It's a commitment to serve someone for the purposes of God. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now look there at the beginning of verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not better than his master. I did a little digging and found what he had said to them earlier. Matthew recorded it earlier in his ministry in chapter 10, verse 34. He told them, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of this household? If they hate your leader, they're going to hate you. So the Christian life can be hard. The world doesn't always hate you, but if it does, remember that it hates Jesus. Oh, I thought Jesus was popular. The church just isn't. Well, the real Jesus is unpopular, as you're going to see. He said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. The world you're going to see, that is, that self-ruled, self-willed, selfish way of living that the world, not the planet, but people in the world would prefer to have to be their own God, to shape Jesus in their own image. They hate the real thing without a real reason. Verse 26 comes some good news. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask you to speak to us today. Bring life to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we are declaring that Jesus is real. Can we say that? We're talking about the real Jesus. We're not talking about Jedi Jesus or Rambo Jesus or the easily manipulated sweet baby Jesus. We're talking about the real Jesus, the one that is to be taken seriously. Jesus is real. 
We don't need a dumbed-down, God-spells-clown, mamby-pamby-pansy of a Jesus. We don't need a homogenized, pasteurized, sterilized, Americanized, politicalized, imitationized, artificialized, marginalized Jesus. We need the real Jesus, the one and only Son of God, the soul-saving Savior and sole way to the Father, full of grace and truth, the light of the world, the bread of life, and the bread of heaven. The redeeming Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and baptizes His followers with the Holy Spirit. We need the real Jesus. The world needs a real Jesus. The world does not need a politically corrected, philosophically dissected, culturally corrupted, traditionally interrupted, religiously diluted, popularly convoluted, historically instituted, theologically dispensated, nor to the past relegated. We need the real deal. We need the raw, untamed, and unmuted, straight-talking, sinner-loving, and sin-hating Jesus. Not Jesus the baseball player, but Jesus Christo, the saving Savior. The real deal Jesus, the Lord of lords and King of kings, the first and the last. Messiah and Master, our elder brother and builder of His church. God's Word made flesh, new life made fresh, giving freely to all who call upon His holy name. Yes, His holy, matchless, and fearless name that is above every name. We need the real Jesus of the Bible, owned by no one but available to everyone. The one who's coming back on a white horse's back, taking up all the slack. With fire in his eyes and a sword on his thigh, his garments dipped in blood. Many crowns on his head, raising up all of the dead, giving Satan his dread. Are you ready for his return? The return of the real deal, our eternal seal, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready for the real Jesus? There's three things we're going to declare today. Jesus is real honest. Can we say honest? Jesus is real unpopular. Can we say unpopular? And Jesus is real comforting. Can we say comforting? Jesus is real honest. He told us in John 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, he's given his followers the truth, the whole picture. You ever buy something and then experience buyer's remorse? Boy, it looked good on that infomercial, but I didn't know it was made from biodegradable paper, and I thought it was wood. Ever listen to an ad for a certain kind of medicine, and they read you the fine print at, at top speed? May cause strokes, hyperventilation, may cause scabby, uh, teeth fall out, scurvy. The time they're done, it's like, man, I don't want this stuff. Well, Jesus has given us the fine print, the real deal. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, he's saying this because they're about to be hated. He's saying this because there are times we will be hated. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Keep in mind that love doesn't compare to God's unconditional, undying, sacrificial love. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now the world hates the truth of a sovereign God that chooses his people. That is offensive to intelligent, educated Americans. How dare you be so arrogant to think that God chose you? I know he chose me. I wouldn't have enough sense to follow him if he hadn't. 
Paul believed he chose him. For sure he did. If they will just humble themselves and say, Lord, pick me, he'll choose them too. That takes humility. I know it. I'm not real athletic. I was raised in a religion that believed organized sports was a sin. So in the neighborhood games, when kids would choose up, I'd get chosen last. Sometimes next to the last. Okay, you take ladder like the other team would choose for the other team. You take ladder, we'll take the girl. You could go, pick me, pick me, pick me, but it was humiliating to do that. The Bible says, whoever, can we say whoever? Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord is going to get picked. They're going to be chosen. They're going to be saved. So we are the chosen ones, and people hate it, but we are. Deal with it. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Can you tell your neighbor they will? They will. They will. Persecution, first of all, starts with disapproval, then ridicule. A pressure to conform and a loss of opportunity. And this starts even in our childhood. Pressure to be cool. Pressure to be the same, even though it's looked at like they're being different. Alienation from the community, even shunning. And when it gets its foothold in a culture, persecution can lead to loss of employment, loss of property, physical abuse, violence, harassment by officials even imprisonment, torture, and execution. It's happening in a lot of places in the world. And Jesus said it would. They persecuted him. They nailed him to a cross. What do you think they're going to do to his followers? If they called him the devil, what are they going to do to his children? Jesus is real honest. In the next chapter, it's there on your note card there in your bulletin, verse 2. He said, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. How is it that putting someone out of the synagogue leads them to being killed? Historically, we learn this. The Roman Empire was cruel. They were brutal. And they demanded worship of the empire. You paid homage, allegiance with your signature, with your salutes, with your money, a form of worship, even bowing to the great Caesars. They demanded it. But certain religions were granted an exemption. Through political maneuvering and deal-making, they granted exemption to synagogue members from having to worship Caesar. Well, Christians definitely are not going to worship Caesar. But because the early church didn't have church buildings, they met in public meeting places, houses and synagogues. So they enjoyed... The exemption granted to synagogue members. So when they were put out of the synagogue, there was sure persecution coming their way because they weren't exempted from emperor worship. It got so bad, in fact, this is the roots of anti-Semitism, check it out, that synagogues wrote a prayer, the synagogue leaders wrote a prayer that was so offensive to believers in Jesus that they would stop going because they couldn't, agree with that prayer that was prayed. So this being put out of the synagogue was sure death, sure persecution coming their way. 
And those that did it thought they were giving God service. You know, persecution often can come from religious people. Verse 3, These things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. It's possible to be part of Christianity, wear Christian t-shirts, Christian neckties, Christian jewelry, listen to Christian music and play Christian radio stations and Christian podcasts and not really know Christ. Part of the Christian subculture. And there were people doing a lot of religious activity for God who didn't know the Father and so they rejected His Son. Verse 4, But these things I have told you that when the time comes you remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. All right? Hard times are coming, so I'm telling you about it now. I didn't tell you earlier because it wasn't necessary. I'm with you. But, guys, I'm fixing to leave. So get ready. I'm passing the baton to you. Get ready. The race isn't going to be easy. Verse 5, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, Where are you going? He's told them, I'm fixing to leave, and nobody's saying, Where are you going? Why? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. They don't want to hear more, so they're not about to ask questions and find out more. He's real honest. Jesus is real unpopular. You may say, that's not true, man. The world loves Jesus. They just hate the church. This is not the real Jesus. The cool Jesus is not the real Jesus. The real Jesus said the things that are written in the Bible. The real Jesus said the things that are written in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Revelation. The real Jesus is hated by a self-willed world. He said in verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. If anybody had a reason to love him, they did. We say Jesus is real unpopular. We don't need Jesus is not real or another gospel that's not true. He's not a dumbed-down, God-spelled clown. He's the real, living, untamed, unmuted Savior of the world. He came to bring truth. His truth saves us from problems. Applying His Word will reduce the number of prayer requests in your life. This will. Jesus is real unpopular. He's also real comforting. He promised the Holy Spirit to help them in the previous chapter. He said, I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. How will He come to them? In the presence of the Holy Spirit whom He is sending. God's Holy Spirit. But the Helper whom the Holy Spirit will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So He's their teacher. He's fixing to leave them. And they're still not done being taught. They still have a lot to learn. 
The Holy Spirit is coming to continue the task that Jesus began. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This is real. There's plenty of people in this room that have received the Holy Spirit to know that this promise is true. You're probably here today because the Holy Spirit drew you here. Oh, well, my parents made me come. Well, the Holy Spirit probably led your parents to make you come. You're here. He's involved in our lives. When the Helper comes, John 15, 26, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, his followers were going to be filled with the Spirit, and in face of persecution, they were going to become on fire witnesses. Totally transformed. So this comforter is also known as the advocate, or the one called alongside to help. He's the helper. Peter, who was afraid to the point of denying that he knew the Lord, after being filled with the Spirit, became a radically powerful evangelist. Throughout church history, in the face of death, believers have been bold, brave, fearless. Valentin Sviontek, who is the leader of Messianic Jewish Bible Institute in Odessa, Ukraine, was in Siberia under the days of communism in a communistic prison. And he was there for his faith. And one day he was threatened with death. They took him in this room to kill him. Or at least they told him they were going to. And they had a briefcase with him. And the briefcase was full of syringes. He said, these are poison. We're going to inject you with this. And you're going to die. And he said, fearlessness came over him like a cloak. I will live. Some coincidence changed. They took him to another room. It wasn't long. He was released. But he never recanted his faith in the Savior. In the face of intense hatred and death, the Holy Spirit will help us. Chapter 16. Jesus said, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus and reveals Jesus to us. And you're here due to the work of the Holy Spirit, I believe. And He will empower you to endure hatred and hurt. Jesus is real. Are we real? Watch this.
There have been many martyrs through the ages. Daniel in the lion's den. Peter in 64 AD said, in the face of death, crucify me upside down, for I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord. John Huss in 1415 said, the truths I have taught will seal with my blood. Burned at the stake without fear. Polycarp in AD 168 said, 86 years have I now served Christ and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king? Hugh Latimer in AD 1555 said, We shall this day light such a candle as I trust shall never be put out. J.W. Tucker in 1956, before going to the Congo, said, God didn't tell me to come home. He only told me to go. He was martyred there. Tertullian in AD 225 said, The more we are mown down, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is our seed. Jim Elliott, before being killed in Ecuador, is quoted as having said, No man is a fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Rachel Scott, in Columbine, 1999, is quoted as having said, I want to start a chain reaction through small acts of kindness. Nathan Saint, 1956, martyred in Ecuador, said, When it comes time to die, make sure all you have to do is die. a Christian missions agency in South Asia working in countries where there's intense persecution. One such country has a group of pastors that will not baptize someone without asking them these questions. Because a person being baptized is going public with their faith. And if they're not real, it would be tragic to be persecuted for something that's not real. But if they're really a believer... They ask them these questions. Are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? It might happen if we baptize you. Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to love those who persecute you and forgive them and show them the love of Christ? Are you willing to be beaten rather than denying your faith? Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? If they're true believers, the Holy Spirit enables them to be that willing. The question for us today is, are we willing? Are we real? Are we willing to stand up for the real Jesus? In Nigeria is a little city called Jos, J-O-S. It's in that area where the Muslim north and the Christian south meet. And I say that word Christian with quotation marks. Recent years, there's been terrible things happen in this area. A Nigerian Baptist church was attacked by Muslim extremists who burned it to the ground. And they burned church members' homes as well as the pastor's home. After the violent outbreak, when the people of the church returned for worship, they gathered in a small mud community center about a kilometer from the burned church. Pastor Gamna stood up and offered thanks. He said, I want to thank God that, first of all, none of us killed anyone. Muslims had come to him thanking him for not retaliating. 
when extreme Muslims do things, moderate Muslims suffer. They just do. And no member of the church retaliated. Second, he said, I'm grateful they didn't burn our church. His members said, what? We're here because we don't have a place there. He said, none of us died. They didn't burn us. They burned our building, but they didn't burn our church because we're the church. And thirdly, he said, I'm thankful my house got burnt too so I could be a better pastor and know what it feels like to have my home burnt. I'm able to help you. That's real Christ-likeness. That's real Jesus. That's real stuff. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, burn all the fakeness out of us. Convict us of all hypocrisy. Lord, we want to be genuine. We want to be the real thing. And Lord, persecution may never come to us here like it's coming to other countries. So Lord, may we be mindful to pray for our brothers and sisters in other lands. And to do what we can to be a strength and a help to them with our prayers and our resources. And even in our going. Places like North Korea and Nigeria and India and other places. Lord, we recognize more people are being martyred today than in the history of the church. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have here. Help us, Lord, with the lack of pressure. Help us, Lord, to be the real deal. In Jesus' name. To walk in that love that you give that is unconditional, undying, and sacrificial for one another and for those that might seek to harm us in some way. In Jesus' name.